Great to be here, church. Good morning. And uh, we're in the last of our series on 1 Peter. And I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. We thank God for his word to us this morning and pray God's Holy Spirit as Cole brings God's word to us now. Amen. Thank you, Terry. It's great to be back in the church building. We've got Terry here, Mike, Tundi on the desk, and Fiona, who's responding to your, um, your comments online. So it's great to be back here in the church. And here we come to the end of this letter, five, five chapters of the letter written by St. Peter, to the Christians who are suffering persecution in Asia Minor during the, towards the end of the first century. And he ends this letter by bringing us to his concluding comments, his concluding comments, his CC, if you like. 
Now, we're in Essex up here, North Essex in Colchester, and one thing I know about North Essex is Essex is full of petrol heads. There's a lot of men and women in, in Essex that just love their motors, their cars. We see them parading up and down the high street on Friday evenings and Saturday evenings. And anyone who knows anything about the combustion engine will know that it's all about the CC. It's all about the cubic capacity. I'm a big biker, and I can tell you that you're never going to get the same kind of speed and power on a 125 as you have on a 1,000cc bike. CC is critical because CC gives you power, and power gives you speed. And when Peter here comes to talk about his concluding comments, his CC, these encouragements that Peter gives us will give us power in our Christian lives, power in our Christian witness, power in our Christian faith. And the first thing he says to us is this. He says, be clothed. Be clothed. Now, before you're wondering what you're talking about, he's not referring to the fact that he expects you're sitting at home right now not wearing anything at all, and, and quite frankly, I don't want to know what you're wearing, okay? He's not saying be clothed because you're naked in that sense. But he's saying be clothed in the sense that we should equip ourselves in a certain way. He writes in verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. In other words, put on Humility. You see, pride is a disease of the human condition that many of us has. It's been said that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. Pride is divisive. It puffs us up to thinking that we're better than other people. It's the root of racism. It's the seed of segregation. It's the catalyst of contempt. You see, pride elevates us and it lowers others. It removes us from being one with others because they are beneath us, because they are different to us. But as Christians, we're called to be humble and we're called to be united. We're called to be one. Peter's already told the church this in chapter 3 and verse 8 where he said, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Be humble. And so Peter instructs us that humility, humility is to be seen in the Christian and it's to be seen throughout the church. And the first people he addresses is the Christian leaders. He describes them as elders. He writes in verse 1 and 3, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, be shepherds of God's flock, not lording it over them, not lording it over those entrusted to you. In the New Testament, we find that elders were appointed from the earliest times to found and to run the churches throughout the world as it was. And they're quite often, literally, older people, which is why they were called elders. They were older people within the community, but due to their age and experience, were ideally placed to lead the church. In Saxon, in old English times, around this area of North Essex, we didn't have elders, we had older men, which literally is derived from older men, older people within the community that were called to lead the towns and the areas and their communities. And their job was mainly pastoral, so Peter encourages them with these words. He says, be shepherds of God's flock, but are under your care. Their role was one of shepherding, caring for the people in the church. And this wasn't a reason for pride or for boasting. 
And so he tells them not to lord it over, not to be proud or to look down and lord it over people as if they were above them. That's not the role of the Christian. Christian leaders are not to be those who see themselves above the people, but they're part of the people. They are to have humility. And then he switches attention from elders and talks about young'uns, younger people. He says in verse 5, young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. Humility, you see, has as its essence respect. It doesn't look down its nose at the other and says, I am better than you. And this is, a, this is highly relevant in a modern culture that tends to elevate youthfulness above all else and disregards people over a certain age as being past it, as having their time. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that every person, no matter what age they are, is valuable to God. And we must have mutual respect between all the ages, between young and old and old and young. The Bible says, be submissive to those who are older. Why? Because they have more experience than us. They've seen more things, learned more lessons, and they can teach us many things. In many cultures around the world, there is greater respect for older people rather than less respect because the older people have a greater capacity of understanding because they've been on this earth longer than we have. And Peter here is calling for mutual respect, for humility in the church between all ages. You see, it's very easy for the young to be so keen with their new ideas that they laugh at the older people when they suggest caution. But why do they sometimes suggest caution? Because they've seen these ideas tried before when they were young. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, there is nothing new under the sun. The sensible course within the church is for us to listen to each other, to have mutual respect between young and old and old and young. A balanced society marries the enthusiasm of the young with the experience of the old. It requires both to listen and respect to the others. And this is why Peter says in this passage that humility is for everyone. He says in verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. All of us need to have humility. All of us need to learn humility. There are no escape clauses due to age, rank, status, social standing, class or education. Peter is quite emphatic. All of you clothe yourself. And it's interesting that he says to us that we must clothe ourselves because when you, put, when you have clothing, you have to put clothing on. None of us are naturally born with clothes. Some of us may be hairier than the others, but none of us are born with clothes. Clothes are things, are garments you have to put on. And Peter uses using this word because it's derived from the, um, the Greek that suggests the idea of putting on a garment that requires the tying of a knot. And what's very interesting is that the garments that required the tying of a knot at the time he was writing was, in fact, the slave's apron. The slave's apron. And that had a knot that tied at the back. And the slave's apron was an example of low status. Only the slave would wear the apron that tied with a knot at the back. It indicated that they were of the lowest standing within the community. And Peter is saying here, 
Clothe yourself. Be willing even to wear the slave's apron. And this is highly significant because it was Peter. When Jesus put the slave's apron on and went around to wash the disciples' feet, it was Peter that said to Jesus, No, don't wash my feet. You can't wash my feet, Lord. He struggled with the idea of Jesus being so humble that he wanted to wash the feet of St. Peter. But of course, Jesus didn't just wash St. Peter's feet. He washed all the disciples' feet, even the feet of Judas Iscariot, the man who would betray him. We are to clothe ourselves. For some of us, humility may not be natural. It may not be something we're born with. We may struggle with humility. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be humble. We need to clothe ourselves, to take it on and to put it on and to tie it around our back and live humble lives of service and love to each other. Because as Peter says here, he quotes Proverbs 3 verse 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. What Peter is saying here is that if we're not humble, we can never know God. Not properly. Because it requires humility to come before God. Jesus says in Matthew 23, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the road to blessing because it is the road to God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 3 in the Beatitudes, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, in order to come to know God, you've got to say, I'm wrong. I've got it wrong. I need you, Father God. We need to be humble and recognize the sin and the corruption in our lives and ask God to forgive us and to deal with it. It requires that humility for us to come to God. But when we come to God, we come to the place of blessing. And at that place of blessing, God will lift us up. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Peter says, first of all, be clothed. And then he says this, he says, be cast in. Be cast in. What do we cast? Well, he tells us, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, verse 7. We cast our anxiety upon him. Now, anxiety is defined in the Chambers Everyday Dictionary as a state of chronic apprehension and a symptom of mental disorder. But quite literally in the Greek language, it's one word. And that word means to divide. Because what happens when we have a state of anxiety, it divides our mind up, it fragments our mind and ruins our concentration. We can't think about one thing because our mind is thinking about something else. Our mind becomes divided. And that's the word that Peter uses here for anxiety, this word to divide. These things that divide us, these things that cause us anxiety, we should get rid of them. And the best way to get rid of them is to cast them upon the Lord. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why do we cast our anxiety upon him? Because he cares for you. And he cares for you today. He longs you to cast your problems, to cast your anxieties, to cast those things that divide your mind upon him because he cares for you. He wants to receive them. And what's interesting is that word there, cast, is a very active word. Peter doesn't say give. Give all your anxieties upon the Lord. He says cast. 
And cast is a powerful word. It's used, for example, when we find the disciples finding the donkey and they cast a blanket upon the, or their cloaks upon the back of a donkey. They throw them. And that word says we've got to be active. We've got to throw. It takes energy to throw away the things that worry us and concern us. Don't just give them to God. Throw them towards God. Cast your anxiety. It takes effort. And how much anxiety do we cast? Well, Peter's quite emphatic. He says, all your anxiety. We don't give him some of it, but keep some of it back. We give it all to him because he cares for you. God is a God who cares for you. And that's why we can humble ourselves and come before him because we come before a God that doesn't want to wreck our lives and destroy us. He wants to care for you. He wants to bless you. And so Peter says this. He says, first of all, be clothed with humility. He says, be casting away your anxiety. And then he says this. He says, be completed. And there's that wonderful verse in verse 10 where he says, and the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Strong, firm, and steadfast. This comes from knowing God because when we come, we are, hum we are humble, we come before God. God's desire is to bless his people, is to bless you today and in your life. And the first thing that Peter says is that God wants to do is the God of all grace, in verse 10, he will himself restore you. He will restore you. And the word here in the Greek language is very picturesque. It's talking about the restoration of damaged ships. Ships that have been damaged on the seas in storms or ships that have been damaged by battle. And these ships quite literally have to be lifted up. They have to be lifted out of the water and placed upon planks. And there all the holes are plugged and the cracked timbers are removed and replaced. And God wants to do that. God's desire in our lives is to restore us, is to rebuild us. He wants to put us back together. And then he says he wants to establish us in verse 10. The God of all grace will himself make you strong. And the word there, strong, means to stabilize. And in the context of a ship, it's to make it seaworthy again, to be able to stand the storms and stand the battles of life. God wants to take this ship and make you seaworthy and repair you. And then he mentions that he wants to make you firm in verse 10. The God of all grace will himself make you firm. And the, the, literally that means to fill with strength, to equip, to enable, to endure. And then lastly, he says, the God of all grace will himself make you steadfast, will make you steadfast. And the word steadfast there means to lay the foundations. He wants to stabilize you by laying good foundations to ensure your life is built steady and firm. God is a God who wants to complete us, who wants to put us back together. And one of the wonderful things about, about these words is that one, one of the words he uses in the Greek literally means, says, to make perfect. That when God works in our lives to complete us, he wants to make us perfect. And this is in the context of taking a ship that's been battered by the storm and putting it back together, back into its perfect state before the storm would ever hit. God wants to complete us. 
He wants us to be people who are clothed with humility. He wants us to be people who are casting our cares. He wants us to be people who are completed, completed by him. And lastly, he says he wants us to be people who are crowned, who are crowned. These promises of God are for those who trust him and keep on going through the storms of life, through the storms of this pandemic, through the difficulties of life that can throw at us through health issues, through issues of, of life generally, employment, and all the other difficulties we can face in life. God says finally, or Peter says finally in this passage, be crowned. He says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, this life is heading somewhere. We don't live in a random universe. We don't live a pointless existence, as Nicky Gervais would try and suggest, that we just a chance, a bit of, bit of human material that exists for a while and then disappears. We are planned, and we lived in a planned and designed universe, and you have a purpose, and I have a purpose. And finding that purpose brings great satisfaction to your life because you were made with a reason, for a reason. And at the end of that, at the end of that, God intends and hopes that he will one day crown us and give us the victor's crown, having walked our lives and journeyed with him towards glory. In Peter's day, the most common crown used in the Olympic Games for the Greeks and then the Romans was in fact the laurel wreath. And the laurel wreath was the typical crown. It had basically, it was made of laurels and went around the head. The problem with the laurel wreath is when it was presented to the winner, to the victor on the day of his presentation, it was fresh, it was healthy. But the laurel wreath literally over time, because it was a plant, when it died it became brittle, it began to fade in colour, became brown and eventually it will crumble into dust. It became nothing. Not so the crown that Jesus offers his people. We're told in verse 4, the crown of glory, it is the crown of glory that will never fade away. Never fade away. Quite literally, in the Greek, that is amanrantinos, amanrantinos. And that literally is talking about, it's made of a plant, the amaranth plant. The amaranth plant was a flower that was believed to be eternal plant that would never fade, never become brittle, never die. In other words, the crown that God gives us is an eternal crown, a crown that will never fade or disintegrate. We will have it forever. When you get a degree, you, you go up to your, your graduation day and you wear your hood and your gown and you receive your reward, everyone applauds, and you have a great day in the company of your friends and family. At the end of that day, you take off your hood, you take off your gown, and the glory fades away. When you receive an honour from the crown, you go to Buckingham Palace and you receive that award from a member of the royal household. And you go to the investiture at Buckingham Palace and you have a great day followed by a reception. But at the end of that day, the glory fades away. But the glory that God gives his people, the crown he wants to give you, is a crown that will never fade, 
It's an eternal crown. And you and I will wear that crown amongst all the family and friends that have gone before, enjoying the glory and the blessing of our God. If only we listen to these concluding comments of Peter. So people, let me encourage you. Be clothed with humility. Be casting your cares upon the Lord. Be completed by him, put back together, and be crowned by the Lord Jesus. Know his power in your life in this week ahead. Read this scripture again. Let it circulate in your mind and become part of your life and receive the blessing that God wants for you, not just for this Sunday, but for always. Amen.